back to another episode of the Royals Farm Report Podcast. My name is Joel Penfield. As always, I'm joined by Alex Duvall. How you doing tonight, man? Joel, I'm anxious. Our Chiefs play in the Super Bowl here in a few days. Um, you know, obviously, I am not anywhere close to 50 years old. Half that, actually. So, never seen my Chiefs be in this type of position before. So, I'm really excited. I'm really anxious. And now it's just a really long three-day wait before we get to finally watch this big game we've been anticipating for the last couple of weeks. And I'm excited. Like, I I'm, I don't feel nervous for the game at all because we have Patrick LeVon Mahomes playing quarterback for us. Like, you just – you feel good that the Chiefs are just going to go and win the game, man. And I, I think that's such a cool thing. Like, that, what a feeling that is after all the years of terrible quarterback play to get – you have to have the best player in the NFL on your team. is It's a good feeling. Yeah, for sure. And I am – Super excited to see him on the world's biggest stage. It's, it's going to be really exciting, but we, we'll talk about the Chiefs and hopefully a Super Bowl win next week. But right now, we are very excited to be joined by Royals, Kansas City Royals starting pitcher Brad Keller. Uh, he's taking time to join us here before pitchers and catchers uh, start up in a couple weeks. Brad, thanks so much for joining us. This is really cool for us to get to interview a big leaguer here on our podcast. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me. Man, it's really exciting. Uh, I know, obviously, 2020, you know, coming up here in a couple of weeks, I'm sure you're excited to get going. Uh, last, you know, at the end of last season, you were kind of shut down uh, just because, you know, after from the workload that you had from 2018 and then 2019. How are you feeling? How's your offseason been? And, uh, yeah, just how things been going? Yeah, no, offseason off season been great. Um, you know, we really focused on, um, you know, building endurance because, unfortunately, what happened last year, getting shut down a little early, um, wasn't the wasn't the best thing um you know so this year we really worked on um arm endurance body endurance um stuff like that so the body feels really good right now we're really excited you know fan fest was last weekend so getting all the guys back together kind of got the buzz going again and so we're all we're all anxious to get out there and get going again go ahead alex so you talk about, you know, getting going and, and the off season and how much work you've been putting in to, to make sure you can stay healthy and make sure we're, you know, you get a full season in. Uh, what other kind of work have you done this off season, you know, in between the conditioning, in between the, the, the shoulder strengthening? Have you guys worked at all on, on like pitch design or um, using like a rap soda to kind of tweak your mechanics or tweak grips or anything like that? Yeah, um, so I'm very fortunate enough to be able to have uh, used all that technology here. A few guys that um, were in pro ball opened up a place close to my house um, called Full Count Baseball, and they're able to. They went out and bought um, a bunch of like the rap soda equipment, some Edgertronic equipment, stuff like stuff like that, so where we can, like you said, design pitches. Um, you know, get instant feedback of of uh, you know how bullpens are going and stuff like that. So. At the beginning of the offseason, we don't really focus on that. It's mainly just, you know, kind of building up strength again, getting back to, you know, resting up, getting back to, to full strength. And um, But once we start once we start throwing and getting into bullpens and stuff like that, we, we really utilize that stuff. And so it's very helpful because right now I'm, I'm working on a still, – still trying to develop my changeup like I was last year. Um, obviously, it's not going to be an overnight thing. Um, and same thing, we're, we're, we're trying to add a curveball this year. Um, you know, just something to work on. Like I said, like we're always, always trying to get better, always trying to improve our stuff. So um, with, the, with the help of that stuff, it's really been beneficial as far as, you know, seeing the spin out of the hand, where we can adjust stuff, um, you know, stuff like that. So it's, uh, 
like I said, I was very, very fortunate enough to be able to have that technology ready. Yeah, you, you talk about the development of your changeup, and um, you know, I don't know if you know this, but you've been arguably the most successful Rule Five pick in all of baseball over the last half decade or so. Um, what do you contribute to that success? Because I know, like in the minor leagues, you had you know good to you know above average numbers, but but nothing that stands out to the point where, like you know, that maybe we should have expected to have the most success of any <laughs> Rule Five pick in the last half decade. Like your run, the last two years has been incredible. So, what do you can what do you contribute to the success you've had? Was there Something about moving to the bullpen for the first half of that 2018 season that clicked was it something the Royals helped you with when you got on board? What do you what do you think is the biggest contributor to all the success you've had over the last couple seasons? Um, you know that's that's a good question. Um, I think honestly, the bullpen was definitely a huge um, huge help. Like one, it helped me you know figure out a routine that works for me where like I could take this into a rotation. I feel like when I was in the minor leagues, like everything's kind of so, um, I guess not really regimented like it is in the big leagues. So it's like every day it felt like it was something different. Well, like whenever I got moved to the bullpen, like to find a way to get my body ready every single day, get my arm ready every single day to go out there and, and uh, compete at the highest level. Um, that was definitely a big challenge. And, and, you know, our strength coach and our staff, um, training staff have been huge help. And as far as that, but I really, I feel like I attribute a lot of it to, learning how to do a scouting report, um, you know, with Kyle and Vance and uh, Dale Swain, like we, uh, we all one day sat down and, and kind of reviewed a lot of stuff and they were the ultimate help in, you know, dissecting hitters, going out there and being able to, um, you know, have confidence when you go out there and face a guy because you know, you know, their tendencies, you know, what they, what they can hit, what they can't hit, um, you know, just kind of gives you that confidence where you can go out there and, and just, you know, be who you are and be like, okay, like, you know, I'm going to do what I can do and I'm going to get you out. And, you know, I know you struggle with this pitch and I'm going to try to exploit you as much as I can. So I think that's a, that was a big help in, in uh, making the adjustment, making the leap to the big leagues from double A and, and the minor leagues. Yeah. You, you talk about adjustments and I think, you know, um, heading into the 2019 season, you know, as good as you were in 2018, you know, we, everybody always talks about that sophomore slump, man. It's almost, it seems <laughs> like it's almost completely unavoidable. Um, so you talk about adjustments, um, obviously going from 2018 to 2019, you made adjustments in the off season. Um, as you approach 2020, what do you think is something that you, the biggest thing that you can build on heading into the 2020 season coming out of your 2019 season? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing for me is just being consistent um, you know, last year I had I had really good starts and I had some really bad starts. And, uh, you know, just try to try to stay, you know, the same pitcher every single time. Um, you know, some some starts I go out there and, you know, walk five guys and, you know, get hit around a little bit. And other starts I wouldn't walk any. And it's just like, you know, we I can't be doing that all the time, you know. So I think going into this season, one, obviously command is uh, is big for me. Like that's that's always obviously that's every pitcher's. Um, number one thing, but I think just being consistent, being able to go out there and be the same pitcher every fifth day, I think that's that's the one folks we're we're trying to get to um, headed into 2020 season. All right, so we're going to go back a little bit to the day that uh, the Rule Five draft. 
for those, just to go back on your career a little bit, for those that maybe not don't know at home, you're originally drafted by the Arizona Diamondbacks, spent a few years in their system, and then you are Rule 5 eligible. You're picked by the Cincinnati Reds and then immediately traded to Kansas City, where obviously you are now. How chaotic was that day? And kind of take us through, you know, that shift from you know you're going to Cincinnati and then immediately to Kansas City. Yeah, I mean, that was uh, that was kind of a wild morning. I, um, I was just getting in the car headed to workouts and I, my phone started buzzing. Like I got a bunch of like congratulatory text messages and I was like, I, I mean, I knew the rule five was that morning, but I didn't really put much thought into it. Um, you know, I was like, Oh, it'd be awesome if it happened, but you know, what? like basically let it run its course. Like whatever happens happens. And so I started getting a few congratulatory text messages and I couldn't believe it. My agent called and was like, Hey man, like congrats. You got, you know, selected by the reds. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be on the phone with you for more information, but go ahead and like call your family, call everybody you need to. And I was like, all right. So I started calling my family, called my, my mom, my dad, my brother. And it was like, as soon as I hung up with, with my brother, uh, um, you know, my agent called back and he was like, ah, just kidding. Like you just got traded to the Royals. So I had to pick up the phone, call everyone back again. I was like, ah, just kidding. Um, but no, it was, uh, it was seriously, um, an incredible experience. And then, you know, that was going into the season, you know, I'd never been into a big league camp. I'd never been to a big league clubhouse. So there's a lot of first going into it. And so I was nervous as hell basically. And, and, uh, just try to go in there and try to figure stuff out like on the fly. And, um, like I said before, we have an unbelievable staff and they helped me. They welcomed me with open arms and it was pretty, uh, pretty easy to adjust in the clubhouse. So you get to Kansas city, you know, you're suiting up in a big league clubhouse. You're going out, you're in the bullpen, when did you have your, oh, shit, this is the big leagues. This ain't, this ain't the Southern <laughs> League. What was that kind of, that, oh, shit, I'm in the bigs moment? Um, Honestly, I don't think that hit me because everything happened so fast. Like, from the time I got picked to, you know, through spring training, making all those spring training appearances, um, and then getting told I was on the team, like, nothing really hit home until we were facing the Angels at home. I think – it was like my third or fourth outing in the big leagues and I had to face Albert Pujols and I was he got up there and he did his like little shimmy like pre-pitch shimmy and I was like dude like I've seen that in basically every video game I've ever played and like it gave me chills I was like yeah, I, I literally stepped off the mound I was like that is the coolest thing I've ever seen and that's when it kind of hit me I was like wow this is this is the big leagues. I'm literally standing on a big league mound facing Albert Pools, a guy that I've played as, played his video game, like all the all the above. Like that was the coolest moment. How did that at bat go? <laughs> uh, I I uh, he actually was the first guy to knock in a run against me. He slapped a single the other way, and Mike Trout scored. So I mean, that's uh, yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> it was yeah. It was I actually got him 0-2, <laughs> and then I. Um, this was at a time where I was really into hanging sliders. And so I hung a slider and he just slapped <laughs> it the other way. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he had a 3000 hit that year. So I can say I can, I contributed to that, but, um, still, like I said, it was one of the coolest moments. Like, obviously I didn't win the AB, but, um, still super awesome. That's a pretty, I mean, I don't know how many, pitchers there are in the world that will be able to say one day yeah the uh my first you know taste of the big leagues arguably the greatest hitter of his generation knocked in arguably the greatest hitter that's ever lived (laughs) yeah Uh, that was my introduction to big league baseball yeah 
it's insane. It was it was such a surreal moment. Like Mike Trout's on second base and I'm facing outer pools like and my fourth outing in the big leagues like crazy. <laughs> That's awesome. So you talk about that spring training experience. You talk about, you know, the realization, like you talk about stepping off the mound, man. Like that's Albert Pujols at the plate. Like you've, you've played the video games. You've watched him play. You know the story. You know the legend. Um, you know, there's a lot of Royals fans that are excited about this wave of pitching prospects that's coming through the system. And, you know, you're, you're not that far removed from that being you. And, you know, it's it's awesome that we get you on here because there's not a really in, in recent Royals history, there's not a gr- lot of examples of young guys working their way through not the Royal system, but a system making their rookie debut in the big leagues and having as much success immediately as you have. I mean, you're getting ready to enter still your age 24 season. You know, some of these guys like Jackson Coar, Brady Singer, I think are 22 will be 23 by the end of the year. You know, you're close to their age. You've had all kinds of big league success. Um, what is what is that process like for those young guys? Um, for Royals fans that are listening, you know, what can they kind of expect from Coar, Singer, Lynch, etc.? Um, what is what is that like going through big league spring training for for maybe the first time? Um, yeah, no, I mean, we're I I think I can speak for our whole team. I mean, we're super excited to have these guys too from. Um, from what we've been told from our scouts and our coaches and stuff like that, our front office. Um, but going on to your question, we, uh, you know, stepping into a big league clubhouse for the first time is definitely nerve wracking. Um, you know, I came from the D backs. And so when I first got drafted, Ian Kennedy was basically the ace pitcher over there. And I just remember watching the D backs games like, wow, like, you know, that's Ian Kennedy, you know, you know, awesome, awesome pitcher, you know, the ace of their staff and I walk in, I walk into the Royals clubhouse and the very first person I see is Ian Kennedy. And I was just like taken back. I was like, I'm standing in the same, I'm basically, if I make this team, I'm going to be in this, I'm going to be teammates with Ian Kennedy, the same guy that, that I felt like was, you know, so high above uh, where I was at one point. And like I said, it's, it's super, super nerve wracking. You don't know what to expect. Um, for me coming up, coming across, I knew no one in the entire Royals organization. So like day one was just like a blur because so many names, so many faces being thrown at me, like just trying to, my biggest thing for the first like three days are just trying to learn people's names. Um, I think that's like a huge, um, huge help once you get that down. But, um, you know, once I feel like our team is very welcoming, like anytime we got new guys, I feel like they adjust really quickly in our clubhouse and i think um our veterans do a really good job as far as that you know making it a a a clubhouse that you're wanted into like you always hear those horror stories of you know clubhouses that you you know as a rookie is like don't sit on the couch don't do this don't do that like you're gonna get yelled at like we're we're our rookies are or our veterans are awesome enough to where like like we're sharing the same locker with you you know everything's free reign like do what you want you know, obviously don't be a fool in there and don't, don't, don't act like a buffoon, but like, it's, uh, it's very, very welcoming clubhouse. So as far as the adjustment period, it took me probably, I don't know, a few days, three days max then that I felt awkward. And then it literally just felt like a normal clubhouse. Um, and then when it comes to the pitching side of things like Cal and Vance and, um, now LC, like they make, they make things so, so easy. 
um, easygoing guys and like the, it just you just go out there and become yourself and and throw what you know what to do and it's uh it's great. You know the Royals put a premium uh, on you know characters, good character and, and and good people in the clubhouse, and I think that's one thing we you know we've heard from uh, Dozier and Merrifield specifically uh, during Fan Fest how excited they were to have Alex Gordon back in that clubhouse. Um, you know, Royals fans Gordon be drafted as one of the top prospects in baseball and go from one of the top prospects to a struggling big leaguer to maybe the third or fourth best Royal in club history. Um, you excited to have him back in the clubhouse, not just as a player, not just as your left fielder running down fly balls for you, but <laughs> as the leader he is in the clubhouse, you excited to have Gordon back? Oh, absolutely. Um, like you said, he's one of the one of the best human beings, one of the greatest leaders I think I've ever been around. Just his presence in the clubhouse just kind of changes people's attitudes. And I mean, awesome dude, phenomenal guy, great family. Um, you know, we're I think I speak for everybody. We're super excited to have him back. And um, you know, besides the part, like you said, being gold glove winner and all that stuff, like all the accolades speak for himself. But him as a person is is phenomenal, and, and we're super excited to have him in the clubhouse. I, I can have no problem believing that he seems like a <laughs> class class A dude. Obviously, he's a phenomenal baseball player as well. Um, on the coaching side, one guy that I have heard uh, Royals pitchers, specifically the minor leaguers, but obviously being a Rule Five, you never spent time in the minor leagues. Have you gotten to work with uh, Coach Steve Luber? He was the pitching coach for the Wilmington Blue Rocks this year. Um, I have not, unfortunately. He was in big league camp my first year. Um, but he was only up there for a little bit. He, um, he kind of helped out a little bit, watched a few bullpens. Um, but unfortunately I've heard great things, but I've never, I've never worked with him directly now. Gotcha. Okay. I didn't know. So I, I didn't know if they were, you know, walk, if they, if the minor league coaches were always with you guys during big league camp or if, you know, they were pretty well, um, busy with guys they would probably have, uh, on their teams. But, um, I was just curious because he's he's a guy we always hear about. He and Vance Wilson both as, as yeah. leaders and, and as the pitching coach um, and leaders in that side of the thing. So, yeah, um, I was just curious. I didn't know if you'd gotten to work with him or not. No, I mean, I wish. I mean, like you said, a lot of the pitchers raved about him. And he was there my first year, but um, he was literally up there for like two weeks until um, everyone else kind of reported. And then he went back to the minor league side. But like you said, like a lot of guys rave about him. So. I kind of wish I got a chance to work with him. All right, Brad. So I got to ask just because I know, like, I wasn't very good, but I pitched in high school and all that stuff. Like, I know how pitchers, you know, are very much creatures of habit, can be very superstitious. So take us through kind of a day in the life of what it's like to, you know, what what's your pregame routine? Do you have any, you know, particular things that you do on your start days? What what What's a day, what's a start day like for you? Yeah, so I uh, I've I used to be in especially in high school I used to be like the most superstitious person ever like not even just on start days like it was like every single day of the baseball be doing the certain this certain stuff on this certain day be wearing this certain clothes like I was so bad so um I've I've trimmed up on that a little bit but start days are definitely uh, still superstitious um I I wake up 
I wake up pretty early. I try to get up around nine, ten o'clock. Which I I know that doesn't sound really that early, but like sometimes like we sleep in way too long. But I try to get up early. Um, I usually go to first watch if it's a home game. Um, I go to first watch in Westport, and I literally sit by myself. I order the same thing every time. The little trifecta with the kale tonic drink. Um, I got it down to a T. I've done it a million times. It feels like, but um. And then I go back home, I sit on the couch, I watch MLB Network, and I don't know why, I feel like it. I, it's like torture to me because, you know, they keep previewing all the games of the day and I just get more nervous as the day goes on. Like, they keep previewing our game and I just keep getting more nervous. I don't know why I keep watching it, but I do. And then I get up and I uh, drive to the field, get there probably around 3 o'clock. Um, I sit down and I eat lunch. And then I go and I grab my crossword puzzle and I sit on the desk in the middle of the locker room and same seat and everything um, and do my crossword puzzle. And I have like, I make these like four water bottle shakes that uh, like hydration drinks basically. And I got to have all four drink and my crossword puzzle done before we do our pitchers and catchers meeting. Um, And then let's see what else. After that, after the catchers meeting, I sit down for about 40 minutes and then I get up and start getting dressed and then jump into the jump into the weight room for about 30 minutes do my routine in there jump on the training table for about 30 minutes and then head outside and do uh, about a 15 minute more exercises and then throw for about 10 minutes and then get on the mound throw 25 pitches and then head in for the game so once the once like the like baseball kicks in I don't really have a ton of kind of uh superstition man that is a full day mine was just <laughs> mine was just listen to my music and then tell myself dude you throw 75 just don't get just don't die out there <laughs> <laughs> no like i'm i'm really i'm really different when it comes to that because like most of the time like the reporters and everybody they're all in the clubhouse when i get there and like most starting pitchers are kind of in their zone like headphones on like kind of that no one talks to me type of attitude which i mean to each their own you know whoever however you get ready you get ready but like i don't i'm already nervous enough to pitch that day like i don't want people to be you know acting more nervous around me and like trying to so i try to like keep it loose like i say what's up to people like i'll I'll go have conversations with some people like i try to keep it as loose as possible but i can't i don't know why like i feel like that locks me too much like to where i start getting way too too nervous and i freak out so so i gotta ask about the like the pregame bullpen uh so uh, you hear it all the time guys that go out and throw you know perfect games or no hitters or just you know they go out and throw a gem that day they're both they, yeah. they often say that their bullpen was garbage before the game and they're like well let's see how this goes and they go out and throw a gem and then their best you know they're they may go out there and they're just dotting corners in the pen they get out there and then it's five walks and four innings has that ever happened to you yeah you've had just a garbage you know, pregame warm up, and then you go out there and throw a gem. Like every start, like literally, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is about the baseball gods, but if you have a terrible bullpen, like it's that mentality where you're just like, all right, I mean, we'll find it out there, hopefully, you know. And somehow you do, and you end up having one of your better starts. I don't understand how it works, but like you said, if you go in there and you're in, dotting the pin, like I get worried if I'm dotting in the bullpen because I'm like. One, I'm wasting too many good bullets and can't be using them in the bullpen when it doesn't count. But um, 
no, seriously, like it, you end up, you're like, like kind of get worried. You're like, all right, I felt great in the bullpen. Like you sit down and you start thinking about like what made me so great in the bullpen. Like, and then all of a sudden you get out there and you can't find a strike zone. I don't know what it is. I like, I think it's just like a, the mentality of, oh, I mean, we're going to have to figure it out out there. You know, when you have a bad bullpen, it's like, and you do, I don't know. It's like I said, it's crazy. Baseball gods got that's something about it. I was going to ask you, uh, rather smart ass question about how you felt in the bullpen in Houston when you guys were down there but um, <laughs> I see on your fangraphs page you've never pitched in Houston before yeah no I've never pitched there I mean so, looking back on it, I'm glad I didn't but <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say I'd be I'd be remiss if I didn't ask so yeah. you don't have to go into too much detail I, we won't put you under the under the light that too much but yes or no at any point when you guys were in Houston over the last two years, do you remember hearing a banging on trash cans and thinking, what on earth is going on? Um, I can honestly say I never heard any of the banging on the trash cans. But the way the dugouts are set up, like you're super like low into the ground. Like when you're sitting on the bench, you're like eye level with the field. So like and it's and it's in a dome, so it's always so loud in there. So like it's really hard to hear like like when you're when I was in the dugout, so I can honestly say I never heard I never heard anything. So it's really interesting the way they had that set up. So I was curious if you guys could hear it because you know on the on the TV on the broadcast when you go back and watch the video, it is super obvious. Yeah, it's, almost, it you almost you almost have to stop think. Yeah, and then you you know I've heard a couple. Hey, we never heard it. And which makes it more believable how they were able to get away with it. But I remember watching the World Series thinking it was obvious. But it's kind of interesting how well they thought it out if you guys couldn't even hear it on the field. Yeah. No, seriously. Like, I figured, you know, we could hear at least something. Like, if they can hear the home plate, like, clear enough to, like, decipher what was coming, I feel like we could have heard something. But, like I said, it's yeah. it's pretty loud in there. And the dugouts are kind of sunk down in the hole, so you really can't hear much on the field. Yeah, that's crazy. I thought I thought that was easily not just the craziest story this offseason, but maybe of the last couple of offseasons. So, oh, well, I'm, I'm happy for you didn't have to pitch there. I was I was going back <laughs> to look. I was gonna poke you a little bit if you'd gotten lit up there a little at all or you know, pitched well. Yeah. You haven't pitched there at all. I see. So yeah. hopefully if you get down there again this year, get a chance to get on that mound, things will be a little more um, surprising for them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good way to put it. <laughs> so <clears throat> really quick, before we get off this topic, because I do want to get off this topic now, Trevor Bauer was on Twitter talking about how he would much rather hitters take steroids than know what pitch was coming. Do you agree with that sentiment? Um, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, one, they're already big league hitters. You know what I mean? Like, like they did the work. They, they're great hitters. That's why they're in the position they are. And then you tell them what's coming. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like batting practice. They know a fastball is coming, you know, so they're just going to tee off on it. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, versus with a guy with steroids, yeah, he's a physical advantage, but he still has to hit the ball. He still has to, you know, you can still, fool him i guess is the word to say like you can still you know 
mix up how you pitch them, do all that stuff. But, you know, no matter what you do, if they know what's coming, it's like, <laughs> I mean, it's basically you hope that your pitch is that nasty that they don't hit it, basically. Well, so speaking of pitches being that nasty, finally get a good segue to get off this topic. Um, <laughs> heading into 2019, you know, the I think it was Salvador Perez and Ned Yost both were asked, you know, amongst the pitching staff, who's got the best stuff? And, you know, I remember Flanagan, Jeffrey Flanagan talking specifically to, to Ned Yost about this. But I think Yost and Salvi both like pretty quickly talked about um, the late life, the late run you get on your fastball and also, you know, comboing that with your slider. Um, you know, typically when, you know, guys are looking to evaluate a pitcher, you know, one of the first things we look at is, well, are they striking guys out? Um, and, and are they striking guys out? Are they allowing walks? Are they allowing home runs? Which gets into the, the conversation of like, what's the, what's the pitcher's stuff? Like, do they throw hard? Do they have to locate? Um, but I, I've got to say, you, you have the rare case of, you know, you have really, really dynamic stuff, like just in terms of pure raw stuff. And yet you don't strike guys out. And it appears to be, you know, intentional like you know you're not your goal is not to strike guys guys out your goal is to create weak contact keep the ball on the ground you know one pitch two pitch let's keep it rolling um is that is that fair to say is that something that you keep you you make a goal of is to create weak contact and if i strike somebody out well then that's great yeah i mean i think that's fair to say i mean i'm not i don't think i've ever really been like a big strikeout pitcher um, you know, I, I felt like I was taught with the D-backs when I first got into pro balls, like as a starter, like we want innings basically. And like, we want you to get as deep into the game as possible. And so I kind of took that to heart to where it's like, I want to get, get you out in as least amount of pitches that I can. And obviously like, I'm not saying I don't love strikeouts because everyone loves strikeouts. And like, I mean, I would, if I had, like, obviously I'm also pretty young. Like I feel like. And I'm still trying to learn on, you know, that side of stuff, you know, send guys up, putting guys away. But, you know, like for, within the first three pitches, I want you, like you said, soft contact. I want you to get out in, in three pitches on soft contact. Like that's kind of been my goal. I, like I want to eat innings. I want to, you know, stack on all the innings. I want to go, you know, pitch in the sixth, seventh, eighth, almost every start. Like that's my goal. And so, um, you know, if I'm going out there, going six seven pitches every batter because i keep trying to put them away like i'm probably going to be you know 100 pitches after five innings and you know might go out for the six and get an out or you know face one batter or something like that you know what i mean so for me i'm i'm personally all about you know put keep the ball on the ground let my defense work that's why they're out there they're you know good at what they do um you know i don't have to be not necessarily saying this in a bad way but like the hero of like striking everybody out you know but like I said, I'm not. I'm not saying like strikeouts aren't like part of my game because like of course like everyone loves strikeouts. But I think personally, my mindset is I want to get you out in the first three pitches. All right, so I got a question about uh, pitch repertoire. So I'm terrible at asking questions, and therefore I poach them from other baseball podcasts that I listen to. <laughs> and one of the questions on starting nine that they did with a bunch of guys in spring training last year was, if you could ditch one of the pitches in your repertoire and change it for that same pitch from somebody else in baseball history, what would it be? So like your fastball slider sinker change, which who's of any of those four pitches in baseball history, would you want to take? Oh man. 
Um, so you ditch one of yours and take one of theirs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, that's hard. Anyone with a nasty changeup, I'd love that one. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I know uh, someone that comes straight to mind. And he's still playing baseball, plays for the Reds, but Luis Castillo has one of the dirtiest changeups I think I've ever seen. So I'd like to dump my changeup for his, I guess I could say. That's a really good changeup. <laughs> yeah, his, I mean, it is so impressive. I I've, I watched him, and he pitched against us in double-A, and I was like, dude, I don't understand how this guy's not in the big leagues like right now. And sure enough, like the next week he was in the big leagues, and he's had success up there and and. Super impressive pitcher to watch, and his changeup is just Bugs Bunny esque. Alex, what would you pick if you, because you pitch, what, what would yours be? Ugh. I think, I mean, I think the answer has to be, oh man. I don't know. I mean, I, I probably would have grabbed like Mariano Rivera's cutter. Yeah. I mean, that dude walked out. What was it what All Star game was it when it was his final go around? Was that 2013, 2014? It was fourteen, yeah. Fourteen. He walks out to the mound in an All Star game against the be- best hitters in the world. Says to Salvador Perez, "All cutters, you just pick the side of the plate." You talk about knowing what's coming. Yeah. We, we talked about that early in the podcast. Mariano Rivera told the hitters that they knew they knew exactly what was coming and never were able to hit it, and that was, you know. Mariano Rivera never started. I don't think he ever recorded a start in the big leagues. Yep. But I I don't know how many innings he would have to throw in order for hitters to catch on and be able to hit his cutter. But they never did it in the in the closer's role. And no matter how many times he faced a hitter, I mean, I, I don't have it pulled up in front of me who the best off him was in his career. But it was never figured out. And that's one thing that, like, it's not like he also threw 99 miles an hour, so you were just kind of waiting on it to be blown by at any point in time. Like, it was always cutters. So, um, man, I, I'd probably have to go with, with Mariano Rivera's cutter just because he did not care if the hitter knew it was coming. It, he was throwing it with conviction, and damn it, you can't do anything about it. So <laughs> here it is. Yeah, like I said earlier, uh, I threw 75 on a good day. So uh, give me Randy Johnson's fastball, and let's go. (laughs) (laughs) I I read something the other day that I think it was from Pitcher List, Pitcher's List on Twitter, that when Randy Johnson was 44 and 45 years old, he was still throwing the best slider that whatever, whatever formula Pitcher's List is running, I don't know how they calculate, you know, their pitch rankings or however they were doing that. But essentially that his slider at the age of 45 was still better than any slider they've seen from anybody else who's pitched since the year 2000. Wow, that's impressive. So there you go, Brad. There's a lot to live up to there if that's your goal. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. That's impressive. Hey, one more question I want to ask you about before we get off. um, You you just talking about your changeup. You know, typically a lot of right-handed hitters, you know, or I'm sorry, right-handed pitchers want to develop a changeup because it is – uh, helps to neutralize left-handed hitters. Yeah. Over your career, you've been really effective against left-handed hitters, and you know, respectfully, without you know throwing more than what like fifteen percent of your pitches as changeups. So you don't <laughs> throw it a lot, and I do think yeah. your, your changeup has good depth. I don't think it's you know necessarily 
a bad pitch or anything, but you just, you know, you don't throw it very often and you've still been able to neutralize left-handed hitters really well. Um, in 2019 lefties put a, and their Wobo was only like 15 points higher than against right-handed hitters. And in 2018, I can't figure out why I can't get to it. Oh, here it is. Uh, 2018, that number was only, okay. It was a little bit worse than 2018. Did you make any conscious efforts against left-handed hitters in 2019 that, you know, helped you close that gap between the success they had in 2019 and the success they had off of you in 2018? Um, you know, I think, I think honestly the development of my slider um, kind of helped that, you know, being able to put the slider on both sides of the plate um, instead of, you know, because I, like, I didn't trust my changeup. You know what I mean? I didn't – that's why I feel like I didn't throw it a lot because I didn't trust it. And one, it was – too hard like um you know change is supposed to you know kind of mess with their you know timing and stuff it's supposed to be a slower pitch and so um my changeup was way too hard and i feel like you know i basically was going up there with a fastball and a slider and but i was only throwing the slider to one side of the plate you know i really wasn't you know throwing it for a strike or, you know back door or anything like that i was basically back foot for a ball almost every time so um you know with the ability to throw off speed for a strike um on the outer half and also my my forcing kind of cuts um it has like a little bit of natural cut to it and so um kind of made a really conscious effort of, of living up and in on the hands um to lefties and kind of letting them cut inside and and you know jamming bats and stuff like that um so i think with those two i kind of had uh, a, a little bit better success against them but you know going back to the change up i think you know even just a changeup that um, it doesn't even have to like be moving away from them or anything, just like a slower pitch to kind of take their timing off. I can throw against lefties and righties, and it would just be a lot. It would help out a lot more and, and be a lot more successful. All right, so I'm going to go to the lighter side of things here real quick, and I got to ask about your teammate Brett Phillips. Is it really as easy as that video when he was on the Brewers uh, shows him? Is it really that easy to make him laugh? I mean, it's, it's hard to get them to, it's easy to get them to laugh. It's hard to get them to lock up. And when you get them to lock up, it is quite possibly the funniest thing ever. Cause I've never seen the very first time he came over to us. I'll never forget it. It was like me, Jason Hamill and him sitting at a table in Minnesota. And Jason Hamill had no idea that he did this. And so he, uh, Someone says something, he starts laughing, and he locks up. And I remember Hamill literally getting up. He's like, do I need to go get the trainer? Like, what, like, what is wrong with you? It was the funniest thing I've ever seen. And, uh, yeah, no, seriously, the laugh is he, – he, like, one of his eyes locks up, and he always tells people just, like, whatever you do, don't look into the eye. It's, it's hilarious. <laughs> but um, it's, it's definitely harder to get him to lock up, but he'll, he literally laughs at a lot of stuff, so. To get him to last easy to get him to lock up is pretty tough. That is the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I, my, it was so funny. I, I've said my one goal for this podcast is to get him on here just because I want to see if I can make him laugh. And that's just, yeah. that's perfect. The noise he makes is like, oh my gosh, it's so funny. you got to listen to it. He literally can't breathe. I mean, like, he says it hurts to do it, but, like, we all laugh at it because it's so funny. But, like, it seriously is like he's, like, gasping for air. <laughs> It's so funny, though. Like, it sounds terrible to say that it's funny, but it is. That, that answer is even better than I thought it would be. 
Right. Okay, we got to we got to figure out how to get him on the podcast. Yeah, Brad, we, we, we do. Get my man. phone number for me. Yeah, I'll put in some good words for you guys. I got you. <laughs> much appreciated. Yeah, we really appreciate it, Brad. <laughs> I got thank, you. thank you so yeah. much for your time tonight. We got one more question, and then we'll get you out of here. Again, I'm okay. approaching this from another podcast, but if you could go back and watch one moment in baseball history live in person, what would it be? Oh man, there's so many great moments. Um. Shoot. I don't know. I feel like we were actually just watching on TV earlier. I mean, there, there's a few I'd like to go back and watch. I think Barry Bonds breaking the record, um, home run record, would be awesome to watch. Um, you know, you know, given steroids or not, it's still super impressive of what he did. His stats are, you know, through the roof. I mean, it's it's incredible what he did. Um, you know, but I think. Uh, Luis Gonzalez walk off single off of Mariano Rivera in Game Seven. I think it was Game Seven. Yep, that had to be win the World Series. That had to be a pretty yeah. That would be a pretty awesome moment to watch. Um, you know, Kirk Gibson's home run shot. That I mean, legendary moment in itself. I mean, there's so many good ones, but I think I think uh, I think my favorite would probably be the Luis Gonzalez one. I don't mean to be a homer, but I know you weren't on the team yet. The 2014 AL wildcard game is oh, yeah. maybe the craziest environment I've ever been in. But even watching – because so when that happened, most of the crowd in Kansas City sits back at Coffin Stadium, is back behind the play. So you're there's not as much seating out in the outfield or you know in fair territory as there is in foul territory behind the seating. But that you talk about that Barry Bond, that home run. I mean, there are so many seats out there in home run territory at the Giants Stadium that when Bonds hit that home run, I don't know that I've ever seen in the regular season a crowd that full, that nuts go that insane. Like yeah, for a regular for any regular season moment. Um you know, you, you watch the Salvi walk off in the wild card game, and it, it's crazy what's going on on the field. But because the cameras are so focused on the field, you don't really get to see the fan interaction until they pan away from the game to show it. But that Bonds yeah. walk off, you got both. You can see what's going on on the field. You can see the crowd going crazy. Um, that's that's a really really good answer, um, and that might be the first time we've had that on the show. That is, but no, I think that's a great point. That's something I never thought of. Alex, that's a really, really great point. Like that makes that moment even cooler. Yeah. yeah. Obviously the wild card game, you know, you're talking about a thirty year playoff drought and you know, you know, there there's so much to that. But that Barry Bonds home run for a regular season moment is pretty crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Brad, this has been awesome. Again, we we really do appreciate your time. It's so cool that we were able to talk to you know a big leaguer right before uh, spring training. Best of luck this season. I'm sure this won't be the last time we get you on here. We'd love to have you back if you'll if you'll have us. Um, if there uh, for any Royals fan that doesn't follow you on social media, where can they do that? Um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, both at Brad underscore Keller thirteen. Same for both. So, all right, awesome, Alex. Where can everyone follow you? I am on the Twitter at doovy underscore zero one three. 
follow me at JT Penfield. Be sure to follow the main site at Royals Farm. And we'll be back soon with another episode of the podcast. Thanks for listening.